Hey everyone, welcome back to Latter Day Takes. On today's Friday episode, we had three episodes this week, by the way. So, for any of you that thought I was slacking, think again. Think again, and thank you. Thank you for thinking again, because, yeah, three episodes, that's no breeze. Now, I would also like to take a second to thank my guests for this. Uh, for them taking the time, obviously it's awesome and it's fun to have other people wanting to participate in this. So I obviously have a very good fun time with this and I'm excited to see the future and how this all unfolds. For now, I hope you all enjoy this special, somewhat special Friday episode. Uh, I talk Roe versus Wade with two lawyers. They are a couple. That means they are in a marriage specifically. That doesn't mean that, but they um went to school together sort of they uh, they overlapped for just a year uh, we talk about that for a second but anyway both very well-versed lawyers in the law specifically one of them uh clerked for a judge so he's pretty familiar with kind of these processes and they both do a great job kind of providing some insight and allowing us the lay people so to speak to understand a little bit the precedent of Roe versus Wade and why that a lot of people make the argument that it's actually just a bad legal precedent, a bad legal decision, um, because it is highly nuanced. And we get into kind of the murkiness between the law and morality. And when you turn morals into laws and vice versa, basically, which I guess you don't really turn laws into morals. But there's a convergence of those two things. And uh, Josh, um, who had clerked with the judge, makes makes that case left and right. Taylor, his wife, however... Um, has other viewpoints, which I thought was fantastic. I, I loved kind of the the whole back and forth that we had between the three of us. So I hope you all enjoy this one. It is a little bit longer. Hope you had a great week, and it is the weekend, everybody. So go out and enjoy it. It's snowing here in Utah, and it's beautiful. I love it. I love Christmas, and I love snow during Christmas. So go out and do something nice for somebody. Think of others. Do something charitable. Have a good one, and I'll see you all next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the yes. best cult. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not most drinking. It, and they're like not cussing. They're like, Slovis, you stink. <laughs> I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, the Mormons were the correct answer. Because God loves Mormons and he wants some more. Shout out to the Latter-day Saints. Okay, on today's podcast, I have two, I think, in what I would consider at least unique to me, a lawyer-couple partnership marriage. I don't know, however you guys want to define it. I don't want to speak for you. That's exactly it. It's a lawyer-couple partnership marriage. That, I, I thought I nailed it. I was yeah, pretty sure I nailed it. And that's yeah. the legal term for it, though. <laughs> Josh and Taylor Cutler joining us. Uh, Taylor... I'll be honest, I can't remember your maiden name. I don't know if you use that often. So by all means, please. It's right. If right. I, I remember that now. Yeah. Taylor Wright Cutler. Yeah. So Josh, you've been on the podcast one other time. 
on the hypotheticals that we did recently, which I enjoyed quite a bit and I would love to do again yeah, with your fun. brother Jake specifically. But um, I'm happy you guys are on and I'm specifically interested and excited about this episode because it's very relevant, which thanks to you, Josh, kind of bringing this up to, in my mind, which I had seen kind of the headlines going into it, but I hadn't really looked into it a whole lot. But we could be having a paradigm shift in the terms of how abortion, the, the legal construct of abortion in this country coming to us by the Supreme Court in March, if I'm not mistaken. They in, the, in, the just, spring, in the spring or early summer. Yeah. Spring, early summer. Okay. How long does it usually take to come to decisions? Takes months. Um, they're at the beginning of their term. So uh, how their schedule works is they start in the fall and hearing cases and they go until the uh, late spring, early summer. And usually they have a few months in the summer, like June, July, and August or something that they don't hear any cases. And they use that time to just write their opinions and issue them. Um, and work through their backlog. But they're done hearing the abortion case, right? Which we'll get to in a bit here, obviously. Right. They heard that yesterday. And so now yeah. they're, depending on who's writing it, and I mean, it could be out in a few months. You know, probably March would probably be the earliest, but it could be into the into the summer sometime. Interesting. All right. Before we get into the details of this, I'd love a background for both of you, Josh and Taylor. Uh, to give us kind of a little bit of an introduction to both of you, you, well, let's, I mean, you guys got married. Let me guess if I were to remember right, it would be around 2017, 16, close. 16. I would have been, if I was wrong, I would have said one year earlier than that. Um, and recently you have a newborn. How old is Royal? He's almost 10 months now. Fantastic. Congratulations to both of you. Thank you. Um, I was just telling Josh, uh, I love the name Royal because of Royal Tenenbaum, but it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's a family name too. Yeah. So I like yeah. it. Double meaning there. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, all right. Let's get what let, I know you guys, you guys met in law school, right? I had just gotten into law school. So we met right before I started, but we did have a year together in law school. And then Josh graduated 2017 and I graduated 2019. Yep. You did meet in law school. Correct. Mm-hmm. And then let's get into that for a second. How how did you meet? That's what I want to know. Because we're talking a third year, last year, and a first year. I didn't think you guys wanted to be seen in the same room together. <laughs> yeah, we didn't like the the one L's as they're called. Um, That's it. One L. I knew that. Yeah, yeah. One L. I remember I said L one. I think one time in front of you, Josh, and you're like one L. Uh, well we didn't actually meet in law school we met when she got admitted and i i knew her brother Mm -hmm. we were in the same ward and so once she was admitted her brother introduced us so that you know just because i was already in the school i could tell her a little bit about it and then we got married within a few months before school even started for her for either of us no well, we kind got of. married during school. It was like the first week. Well, I went to class the day we got married. So. Yeah. So it was, was it meant to be? I think like so. a setup. Yeah. <laughs> um, nice. I think so. If if he had called it a setup, I wouldn't have met Josh. So I think in the back of my his mind it was, but I was. I took a little more persuading than that. 
her brother liked me, so I wouldn't be surprised. Nice. Yeah, that makes sense. I like you too, man. I'm personal. Like, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> Let's just own it. Exactly. It's a gift from God. You better own that. Um, all right, let's get on with this before I alienate all the listeners. Um, so what makes this case, what, why are we seeing a shifting tone in terms of precedent for abortion? Now, from what I, I'll give you kind of my experience with that. Obviously it's no secret. I listen to a lot of Ben Shapiro. I actually haven't listened to him quite as much. And I know he turns a lot of people off, even probably people that listen to this podcast every now and then. But, um, I, Mike, the case I've made for listening to Ben Shapiro specifically mm-hmm. is the fact that if you're going to get your news and your updates from somewhere, when people ask me, like, who do you, who do you follow? Who do you view as your opinion leaders? My answer is always those that I line up with most morally, probably is the best like source I'm going to go to because everybody has an opinion. You know, the, di- the days of objective news telling, I think are far gone. They're far behind us personally. So if you're going to get your news, you might as well get it with somebody that you tend to line up with the most. And now, does that mean I'm hundred percent venture pure? Of course not. With that said, I've even kind of softened on that because a lot of just today's news is just negative and it's just hard to like keep listening to and exposing yourself to. So I've been trying to kind of mitigate that a little bit more in my own life. But anyway, to t- I tell you all this because Ben Shapiro, who obviously is a brilliant lawyer, I, I think you could kind of objectively, most people would objectively agree with that. He's a Harvard law grad and just killed it and had a great job coming out of law school. Always kind of dismissively said Roe versus Wade was a terrible decision, but he never really went into the details. I would imagine nowadays he kind of gets into the details since we're seeing this maybe changing precedent, but that's all he would say. I don't know, obviously, how most lawyers view that. So I'd be curious to get your opinions on that and then kind of talk about what's coming out of Louisiana and why we're seeing specifically this new precedent potentially changing in terms of abortion for the country. Sure. So I, first of all, I would agree that Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided. Um, is From a legal standpoint, it's pretty easy to pick apart. I think where, and maybe if I had this conversation with Ben Shapiro, maybe he would actually agree with me, but he doesn't, his audience isn't, you know, doesn't consider. Interested in hearing devil's advocate. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not mostly lawyers. He's not going to make the fine legal distinctions. Um, I don't think that it, it's, you can explain, you can see how the justices that decided it got to where they got. They, they did base it on pre-existing legal precedent. I think they made a, they took a leap um, that wasn't justified, but, but it's understandable. And what was that leap? Is it easy to explain that in uh, sure. well, sentences? Not in three sentences. Um, I can, I can get into <laughs> it more. I can... <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I just am saying like, I don't want to, I don't want to distract us too much from the overall topic, but I'm curious kind of, because that's exactly what Ben Shapiro says, but he doesn't really ever go into detail whenever he mentions that. Well, I think, I mean, I think that is kind of the topic that I wanted to get into. And I, I Oh, okay. Yeah. Perfect. Then let's, let's just get into that right now then. So what, what makes Roe versus Wade this kind of flimsy decision? Yeah. So it, so Roe versus Wade was decided in 1972. Um, so it's almost 50 years ago now. And before that, you had, you know, for the 70 years before that, through the, the 20th century, you had this growing body of law 
that revolved around the 14th amendment and, mm-hmm. and then a number of amendments in the bill, the bill of rights that guarantee specific identified rights, like the right to bear arms. Um, you know, the, the religion clauses in the first amendment, the, the protection against unreasonable searches and seizures from the government. There's all of these specific rights that are in the, the 10 amendments of the bill of rights. And then you have the 14th Amendment that was enacted shortly after the Civil War that said states cannot deprive somebody of life, liberty, or property without, the un- without due process of law. And so after the Civil War and after that amendment, slowly you start to get this, uh, the, way that, the way that case law works and, and judicial opinions work is they try to interpret statutes in the Constitution and they try to stick with what other judges have said before them. And that's called precedent or stare decisis is the Latin term for it. And with this case that were that was heard yesterday, um, that's being thrown around a lot because Roe v. Wade was decided 50 years ago. And so there's 50 years of precedent or stare decisis that's kind of defending Roe v. Wade. Which, by the way, I've always kind of thought this, and I know this has been thrown out there too by other lawyers, I think. At least I know I've heard it from other lawyers, so I, I'm imagining talked about enough that precedent alone shouldn't be a reason like to like just because there's a precedent doesn't mean that's a reason to keep that precedent if that makes sense no and no but i'd say there's a no in the sense that you're agreeing with me with a caveat, it sounds like. Yeah. Or no, it doesn't make sense. Exactly. Okay, gotcha. Just making sure. Press precedent, and a lot of people on the right, and so like in legal, the legal community have, because there have been a lot of these decisions like Roe v. Wade that were kind of advanced liberal, politically liberal policies. People on the right have started pushing back against precedent, um, you know, in greater numbers recently. But I think I think that's wrong. I think. I think precedent is a very important part of our judicial legal system. And that as a judicial conservative, which is different in my mind from political conservative conservatism as a judicial conservative, I think it's an essential element, but even, even the most ardent defender of stare decisis recognizes that there are instances where you can overturn a past case and typically, I mean, there's a lot of factors they consider, but a simplified ex- version of the test that courts would use, of whether or not they can overturn a case, is was it how wrongly decided was it? You know, what's the the reasoning of it? Is it can you justify it or see where they're coming from? If it's just a difference of legal opinion, they're not going to touch it. But if right. they, think, they if they think it's clearly wrong, they will overturn it unless there is a clear it's become firmly established it's in the law. It's become so established in the law that if you were to just take it out, it would just kind of capsize everything. It would, it would be more, it would be much more disruptive. Yeah. And, and one quick and low hanging fruit example, if you will, would be like, if all of a sudden overturning this precedent, you're a bunch of prisoners get freed because of, it's no longer illegal technically. And then you have a huge mess. And so it's just kind of like, that's been a big part of our culture. To <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. It's just kind of, we, that judge, you know, 30 years ago tried to understand what the law was. Maybe he was wrong at the time, but it's kind of become the law. 
And mm-hmm. if if it wasn't shouldn't have been the law, maybe the legislature should have changed it in those thirty yeah. years that have come. So anyway, so yeah, there's a lot of nuance behind that. So I get I don't want to get too much into the weeds there, but sorry. Real quick too, I, I also wanted to ask about your background in terms of you didn't you clerk for a judge, Josh? I did, yeah. I clerked at the I clerked for Matthew Durant at the Utah Supreme Court. He's the chief justice there. Yeah. And that's uh isn't he isn't he Devin's brother? He is, yeah. General authority. Yeah, yeah. Really um really wonderful man. I can imagine. Probably pretty tall too. He is, yeah. Yeah. I've met Devin. He's like six six still. <laughs> Devin's taller, yeah. but yeah. The yeah. the chief is six I don't know, six four, maybe six three. I don't know how tall he is now actually. Yeah. Um, side note, and the reason why Devin Durant has just worth mentioning even it's not only is he a general authority but he's obviously an old BYU basketball star um back in the day so worth mentioning taylor what's your background what would would you start doing directly after law school right after law school i just started working for a small firm in salt lake doing employment law general litigation so josh definitely has more experience as far as dealing with rights and yeah constitution And just kind of the whole process in and of itself, which makes yeah. sense. And I, and a part of me wants also to mention this as well. For one, please, Taylor, interject whenever, 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 whenever. It's a really sensitive topic that we're talking about, especially since two males essentially are dominating the conversation. I hate the term mansplaining, so I'm not even, I'm not even <laughs> talking about that. So do I. Um, <laughs> um, it's more just that. I don't want to make it seem like we're not allowing you to talk mm-hmm. or anything. It's J- Josh was the one that brought this to my attention in the first place. He has the background with clerking for a judge, so he knows the process. But by all means, I will appeal to you directly at times, but also do not hesitate to come in and talk because I don't want to make it seem like we're dominating the conversation okay. at all. I will if I have something to say, especially if I disagree with Josh, because I love to do that. <laughs> but nice. for the most part... I'm going to agree with most of what he says. So if, if I'm not talking a lot, that's why, because I just okay. have nothing else to add, but I will interject when, if I do have something to add. Sounds great. Okay, Joshua, take us back. So we were talking about what came before Roe v. Wade and we were talking about the 14th amendment and the guarantee, uh, the protection for life, liberty and property. So liberty is kind of a broad concept. It's very, you know, what does liberty mean? It, it can mean a lot of different things. And in the early 20th century, you had courts that started to grab onto that as a, and, and they started expanding on it and treating it like it was a right just that was just as specific and definite as the right to bear arms or the right to assembly or, you know, any of the specific rights identified in the Bill of Rights. And I'll give you some, some examples and I think these examples are important for members of the church because it shows that it, these the way this the case law started going wasn't just it wasn't like a liberal coup. It wasn't there's things that I think everybody it's so firmly established now that it would be kind of scary if those rights were taken away. These that kind of stemmed from liberty. Um, like for example, so the there was a case in the 1920s where. Um, the state of Nebraska, they enacted a law saying you couldn't, basically you couldn't, you had to public school, all, chil- all children had to be in public schools. No homeschooling, no private schooling. Mm. 
And the education had to be in English. At the time, you had a lot of German immigrants that were coming in. It was shortly after World War One. There was a lot of xenophobia, fear of mm-hmm. they wanted to Americanize all of these immigrants. And they wanted to be in control of the education of the kids. The, the state government did. And so, uh, which is kind of interesting and relevant too. I'm going to take us back to Virginia. I don't know if you guys saw that or like followed that race between Glenn Youngkin and Terry McAuliffe. Yeah. Huge upset in Virginia because it had been a blue gubernatorial state since 2009, I believe. And McAuliffe was dominating the numbers going into this election this year up until the very end. Things started to turn, and a lot of that had to do with how the school board started to come across as dictatorial. And Terry McAuliffe, the Democratic candidate, was even caught saying, not caught, he said it openly. He was asked by the media and he said, parents shouldn't have a say of what their kids are taught in school. And that basically flipped the whole sentiment of the race. I mean, that was when Youngkin started completely gaining steam. The whole thing flipped over. Youngkin ended up winning by almost 2%, which isn't a ton, but considering that he was at one point like an 8% underdog two months before that election, it was a crazy turnaround. And it's exactly what you're talking about right now and how important that is to people. And so once yeah. again, we're still seeing that that battle fought out today. No, and I think that's an, a, an awesome analogy, an excellent analogy, because it shows that here's an issue, here's a right that's not specifically identified in the constitution, the right, mm-hmm. the parent's right to raise their child and, and control their child's education. It doesn't appear anywhere in the constitution yeah, um, like, does that fall under the liberty umbrella? Like, I guess they did somehow. Yeah. You can make to, that argument. Yeah, according to the Supreme Court in uh, Meyer versus Nebraska in in the 1920s, it does follow. It's it's encompassed in in later case law. They they refer the use the term penumbra. It's you know the shadow of of the liberty provision is broad, and when you read it together with all of the rights in the Bill of Rights, it shows that there is this in, this inherent protection for certain liberties, certain freedoms that everyone just doesn't question. Of course, a parent can control the, the raising of their children. Most American, no American would really contest that except unless you're a Democrat in Virginia now, you know, it's, (laughs) (laughs) and so the Supreme court said, yes, this is protected. The state went too far when it passed this law, struck it down as unconstitutional. And now suddenly the, the kind of the floodgates on what rights are in the constitution were were blown open for what a lot of people would say was a good reason. But now, now it's tougher if you're a lawyer or if you're a, a legislator, what, what things can a state do? What things can't they, there's certain things, you know, it, it's not, you can't just read the constitution and find the answer anymore. It's kind of like accommodation laws that started with, people with disabilities. We finally looked around and said, oh, we should treat people with disabilities like citizens and and accommodate them. And so they passed, I think it's the ADA. And so- Excuse me, I, I don't mean to come across as, um, like I don't want to make it sound like I'm being a smart aleck or anything, but when you say treat them like citizens, were they like legitimately not being treated as citizens? No, no, sorry. I just mean like, like um, recognize that they want to participate- Okay. In, yeah, that, in that they have the abil- capabilities to participate in society just exactly. as much as anybody without a disability. Exactly. Gotcha. Exactly. Okay. And and I think most people now would say that's a good thing that we're including people with disabilities. And 
other people want to expand that now to, oh, if you have anxiety, you should be able to bring your anxiety peacock on an airplane. Or uh, if you, I mean, yeah, with some examples here. Yeah, I mean, with landlords, the you know, they don't want dogs or cats in their in the property they own because it's going to mess up the property. And, but now they have somebody that wants to rent there, but says that they need a comfort dog. You have these competing interests and it's hard to define the line. It's hard to draw the line. Well, and I think it, it, it even goes beyond disabilities with LGBTQIA plus. And of course, and I'm saying expanded beyond disability because I know whether that involves mental disabilities is a, is a contested issue, but people want to expand that and say, you know, even if I, 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 you need to be forced to make a cake for a gay couple because you need to accommodate my sexuality in the country. And I, I think that's a little bit too far because it's encroaching on other rights, but you can see how we started out with something that the country would say, yeah, we should accommodate people with disabilities. And now people want to expand that further and further and further and a similar thing, I think, happened with abortion. And it kind yeah. of started with public education and it went to contraception. The accommodation component is fascinating, actually. And I'm glad you brought that up because that does seem to make a lot of sense. And it seems to go into Roe versus Wade pretty easily, like accommodating them, right? When they feel like there's a burden all of a sudden that they have to carry, literally, um, how do you accommodate that? And mm-hmm. if they don't have the means to take care of this burden or take it to the end of its term or things like that. Anyway, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but obviously I do want to get to the abortion part. But Josh, I felt like you were going to say something more adding on to that. Yeah. And and the accommodation thing is more just an example of how uh, and broad legal terms can kind of spiral out of control because the 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 abortion line of cases um, is, is kind of sticks to the liberty, the concept of liberty and what that, that's the broad term that is relevant, you know, in the abortion line of cases and in the case that was argued yesterday, yesterday. Um, so the accommodation thing is, is a good example, but it, the ADA is, Does that the, not, doesn't that fall under liberty? No, it's more, oh, I it mean doesn't. more of a metaphor. Yeah. The, yeah. The ADA, how things have expanded. Uh, the ADA was just passed as a federal statute. It's not really based in the constitution, but it, it it's a good example of just how it's tricky. The law is a tricky thing. It's an, it's an art form and you start in one place that's reasonable and everyone agrees on it. Like let's make, you know, let's, let's let, let's, let's, let's pass a law to encourage uh, ramps so that people in wheelchairs can get up. But in that law, you use the term disabled or disability. And then the next case comes along and it's unclear. What is a disability? Is it a physical thing or can it be as broad as, you know, somebody has anxiety, which is harder to, to categorize. And so that, I think that's kind of your, your point, Taylor. Yeah. Things just can get, can get so broad so quick. And that's what happened with the Liberty. They said they, they started small, they started narrow and said, surely Liberty includes the right to educate your children. And then they had a case where in Connecticut, they passed a law saying doctors cannot discuss birth control, condoms, contraceptives with married, with anybody, including married couples. They wanted to discourage any form of birth control. And the, the Supreme Court heard the case. It was, it was challenged. And they thought, you know, if we're going to enforce this, I mean, 
Does this mean cops are going to be storming into pe- Bedroom. bedrooms and looking for condom boxes? And, you know, how do you enforce this as a state? It really would require the state to be into the most intimate part of a person's life. Right. And so mm-hmm. surely there's, you know, under the constitution, there's the right against unreasonable searches and seizures. But even even beyond that, it seems like there should be this realm of privacy, the home where the government shouldn't really get involved. If it's in the home, a couple should be able to make those decisions about their the kids they want to have and, and when they want to start their family. That shouldn't be the government shouldn't be involved in that. And so you had a, a case called Griswold versus Connecticut, which is like the direct parent of Roe versus Wade. Um, and. Yeah, and so these cases started to accumulate faster and faster and and somebody with a similar case but not quite there would raise their, you know, raise their hand and say, "Hey, I think this law shouldn't apply to me." And you had in this line of cases you had a case in Virginia where there was a law against uh mixed race marriages. And and that was struck down saying people should be able to marry whoever they want. Right? So this is just you know, and you can defend it or not. I'm not really offering an opinion on that. I'm just saying this is kind of what happened. And then in 1972, you had an, an abortion law in Texas and you had a woman that wanted to abort her child. Her, um, and she challenged it and said, hey, I using kind of this this reasoning saying, hey, the the Constitution protects my liberty. I should have the decision over when I want to have a baby or if I want to have a baby. And and that's where Roe came in. Um, it's fascinating to, with concerning what you're talking about and just to think how religion is just hovering over all these cases. It kind of seems like, like, and, and how in many cases, the, 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 I guess what's, what's the word? Like the, those that are not religious, essentially, um, the seculars would argue yeah. that the that religion has basically lost its credibility because there was a time when they were the ones fighting against mixed race marriages. There was another time when they were saying the government should be involved by not allowing certain people to do certain things in the bedroom, right? And that being obviously an allusion to homosexuality for the easy example. But yeah. it's fascinating to see like how religion was always hovering over this. And so that's why you, you fast forward to now, 2020, and they're like, yeah, well, of course you don't think abortion should be legal. It's it's just because you're religious. You guys didn't think that mixed race marriages should have been illegal hundred or should have been legal a hundred years ago. And it's kind of like it's it's fascinating to see how the credibility has evolved, so to speak. But anyway, I don't really have much to say beyond that. But it's anyway interesting nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great point, and I think it. I think that gets it really what the. The response to Roe v. Wade, I think the best legal response, and the one that was argued pretty well in the case that was argued yesterday, is that when you have these 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 morally undecided or un, unsettled issues, then who should make that decision? Should it be a judge or should it be the people? You know, the people in the state. And backing up a little bit, this is just kind of, you know, government 101. Um, for those that, you know, aren't, aren't as familiar with our system of government, we have 
we have a three a three branch system of government with a you know the executive branch, the legislative, and the judicial, and each branch is supposed to have its role. With the exec, the legislative legislature, yeah. I like saying this. The legislature makes the laws. The executive branch enforces the laws, and the judicial branch interprets the laws. At least that's mm. what you're supposed to do. Yeah. You have executive the- orders making laws and. Every president's done that pretty much. And then you have, I think this, this kind of, this is what answers your question. What, what is wrong with Roe v. Wade? And I would just say in one sentence, the judges made the law and the legislature is supposed to make the law. They took, they took an issue that was divisive in society that was being, being the you know the state legislatures across the country were creating laws they were deciding it through the political process through the democratic process and and they they decided to take it away from the states and from the people and said this is what the law is this is what is moral and i one point i want to make i think it's an important one just to keep in mind all laws are moral <laughs> if you get down to it. The fact of law is a moral thing. Is a society wait, wait do you do you disagree with that? I do. I, no, I you don't disagree with the way he's stating it. But it's, say it it's say it the way say it the way you you agree because it doesn't matter. I think the only way you can say that and it be true is to say the fact of law is moral. But whether we drive on the right side or the left side of the road is not a moral decision. The fact that we've come together and said we're going to pick a side. Maybe there's morality in that. I think there, yeah, there definitely is. I think it's as a society, we're saying it's, it would be irresponsible for you to drive on what, whichever side of the road you want. Right. And to be a, a good citizen, a moral citizen in our society, you're going to stick to the law that we have. Yeah. And most of the laws we have are our society has all come together and there's unanimous agreement morally. We say, yeah, that is right. Or they just don't think about it. And most people don't think about it in these terms. I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to the legal theory here. But some philosophies would say that you agree by staying. If you disagree, you should you would leave the country. Yeah, or you would go on a driving rampage. You know, you would just you you'd violate the law. Yeah. Um But we all we real quick, I just I just ha- I can't help myself. It's gonna be I hope I'm the first person to say this to you too directly. It's gonna be fascinating to see how your kids grow up. <laughs> the way you guys banter with each other. I think it's hilarious. And those dinner conversations are going to be pivotal. I'll tell you what. They're not and the fact that you... friends. <laughs> that's all right. But friends are overrated anyway, let's be honest. But that's just going to be fun to see what your kids turn into over the years. So I can't, those dinner conversations, I even kind of want to be a fly on the wall in those dinner conversations. We'll invite you. Anyway, sorry. Um, I actually really like where this is going, though, because with what Josh you were saying in terms of, I mean, at the end of the day, both of you agree that there is a moral underlying to how laws essentially come about, get made, get executed, things like that. Um, I hope that that's probably a cringy oversimplification to both lawyers such as yourself, but uh, no, I think that's, did you want to say, no, I think think that's it. It's there's, that's it. Exactly. Go on. Yeah, and and how do you run a society, right? With without morals, and and those morals are essentially just society's ver- like ter- like society's interpretation of those that morality becomes is is what laws are. I, I would I, I would agree with that on its face. Um, 
So the precedent that we're getting into that Taylor kind of summed up to us, if I'm not summed up for us, if I'm not mistaken, is is basically that the precedent that Roe versus Wade, the, pro, the problem why is a, there's a flimsy precedent is because it was the judges that actually made the law when in reality they should have interpreted what was already out there. Yeah, and that might be a, a simplification. Josh is very technical and I like to simplify things. And so that might be an oversimplification. Well, my audience would definitely benefit from this as well. So yeah. that's partly why I'm here is to help <laughs> simplify Josh's No, I think it's a good, yeah. it's important. I think a, a lawyer might push back and say, yeah, but the earlier case with the, the parents and the right to raise your children, they're the, the judges were making a law as well, right? So the difference isn't that in one case they made law and the other they, they didn't. It's that they, in the previous case, it was, it was less of a controversial, at least to, in my view, it was something that, that there wasn't a, an active and raging debate on that principle of should parents be able to direct the, the upbringing and education of their children. It was, it was something that we all feel comfortable with. Abortion is more, it was more divisive and is, and it was based, you just look, if we get into the Roe v. Wade decision and kind of the details of it, it shows that the judges were having to make tough decisions. Scientific and, and moral. Yeah. That, so that's, that's the thing to me that sticks out the most. Um, and your guys' screen is frozen. So I, I'm assuming you're paying attention to me right now, <laughs> but we can hear um, you. There you guys are. Perfect. Um, it, is the fact that like, it, and this is what I want to ask you and just to give a quick summation, like, is there any mention of whether or not the fetus is the unborn fetus is a, is a life in Roe versus Wade? Is that, is that addressed at all? It is, but it does it in a way that I think is on, it's, it's not satisfying. And they, they recognize that it's an, it's a question. It's a very morally ambiguous uh, issue. And they recognize that they don't know. And they, 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 purport to handle it by just saying we're going to split the baby here uh excuse the term of art um but they they the the biblical and what they they do is they create a law uh, a framework that feels very much like they're they're the legislature usually legal opinions are broad principles that they state you know generally this is this is the a broad test and but then compare that to a law what I could say then is that it sounds like, if I may, sorry to cut you off again, but um, it's that these judges were really pretty, or judge, I guess, I don't, it was a, this was a Supreme Court decision. Supreme Court, so yeah. these judges, the ones that decided that it would be legal, essentially, that being fair, like you could say that they were being pretty zealous, like overzealous to think that they could actually make that decision without, with so little known at the time. You could. Yeah, you could. And well, and it was, they were, and this is where I want to, I mean, I think the decision was wrong, but I think it was the product of the era. Um, you had growing for decades at that point, this, this philosophy, uh, this judicial philosophy that was more, judi- uh, allowed for more judicial activism, allowed for, it wasn't as, as limited to the text of. Yeah. I, I, I think what you're saying is it's not like these, these specific judges came out of nowhere and did this right they didn't go rogue kind of a it's kind of the culture of judging at the time were there there women on the bench at the time not i don't think so not at the time 
Wait, maybe. When was the first woman Supreme Court justice? So it was uh, Sandra Day O'Connor. And it was around, I, I don't know if it was then. She was in the, she was into the 90s. Um, I think, I think Justice Ginsburg. I was going to say, I think Sandra Day O'Connor was uh, later than 72 but I'm not positive. I'm actually going to try and look that up. Yeah. Talking, but I can't, I can't one remember. Thing I was she didn't... What was that? What were you going to say? I just didn't say, I know she didn't author the opinion. If, if she was part of gotcha. the court, she, she just, she voted with it, but. um, Okay. Let me ask you this. What has there ever been decisions made by like any judge for this matter? I mean, and of course, Supreme court justice, if that, if there was a time, that was we don't know enough, so we'll we'll go with the default of essentially not doing anything, which is kind of the norm. Like in Roe versus Wade's case, they would have said, "We don't know what this is, so we'd rather not make it legal. We'd rather just keep it to how things have been, or whatever the default is." Certainly, yeah, and there are some some recognized doctrines. There are a number that may not fit perfectly with Roe versus Wade, but. Um, there's a doctrine called the political question doctrine that if it's a, if this has to do with, you know, how the legislature passes their laws, their procedure, that's to, to the court, that's a political question. It's not going to interfere with another branch of government. And so they just, you know, if the case is brought to them, they'll just say, no, we're not going to touch this. Um, if they also, if it's a law that the legislature passed and it's a policy based law, Typically, courts will say the legislature is free to pass this. We're not going to pass judgment on the merits, you know, the good or bad of the law. Um, and that's standard. That's the default. The only time they do intercede is if they say this law is violating a constitutional right. Are you asking from a more like scientific standpoint? Like we don't know scientifically what's going on. So no, well, no, I would. Okay. Yeah, I guess so. In a way. I mean, but I, I mean. So that, so it can be scientific and Roe versus Wade it would be, but it doesn't always have well, to be. I think this like, is a good question because it gets at kind of the error in Roe v. Wade. Right. Where typically if it's a scientific question or if it's it's a – there's ambiguity and, and the, uh, the, uh, the lack of clarity, uh, scientific clarity here is when does – and this is really where, where Roe v. Wade breaks down is – they kind of debated when does a fetus become a life worthy of protection, legal protection. That's the precedent of that debate. There's a lot of hubris in that, by the way, well, like it, just the fact that they felt like that they could actually comment on that is kind of nuts when you think about it. Well, and, and like, I don't mean to pull this card, but men, men, men made this decision. I mean, I'm sure that, I don't, I, I'm not sure actually, because there are probably no. male lawyers too. Mm-hmm. So anyway. you're, you, by the way, to follow up on that, all nine were men. Um, by the way, uh, also fascinating, the site that I came across, I think majority of them, believe it or not, were Republican. Oh, wow. Um, there seven ruled for it. Uh, five of which were Republican, one Democrat and one Republican ruled against it. Hmm. Uh, Byron White was the Democrat that ruled against it, opposed abortion rights, as well as Rehnquist, who I've heard of Rehnquist. He actually just, uh, in 2005, was, was the end of his tenure. I don't know if he died or not. But 
Anyway, fascinating, just side note there. But uh, Taylor, let's go back to your point because that is kind of nuts. Like, and, and not, this isn't even a feminist. I wouldn't say this is a feminist argument. This is kind of like you, they're literally addressing something. And, it, and how could it be a feminist, by the way, argument? Because most feminists actually are very pro-abortion. Most, not all. But um, it, it, you, they, wouldn't, they would actually be okay with this decision by a bunch of men, ironically. But this is where it kind of carries some weight, where it's like you really are ruling on something that you've literally never, nor could you ever experience. Yes. Kind of nuts. Now, granted, you couldn't ever say, well, let's only have women rule on this because it affects women and only men on this because it only affects men. And like, I mean, you're getting in really murky water at that. But anyway, keep going. Sorry. But I mean, I think and I don't know that the legislature would have been open to this at the time, but I feel like that's why we let the legislature make laws, because the legislature, they have hearings. They they do the research. I mean, they're supposed to do the research. And I feel like you hear about that a lot. I don't know a lot about that. Yeah, I mean, some it depends on the legislature, but I think the more important point with the legislature is those are people that are elected to, to do, do that, that by the people. So we have a representative democracy, and the way that the people pass laws is by re- electing people to their state legislatures, and then the legislators they pass laws that you know the, the theory, the political theory is that they that represents the voice of the people. In contrast, you have judges who are appointed by the the you know the president in the supreme court's case and they're not they don't answer to the people they don't they're not accountable to the people they're they're not they don't represent the people they're they also don't have term limits like it's actually kind of nuts when you think about it and they probably should all have term limits well i don't know i think it's a good system honestly but i unless it's a good system until it breaks down and where and where it breaks down is roe v wade i think is a good example and so okay. from, from a legal, from a legal, if they're staying within their limitations that you specifically are putting on them, which they already haven't done and they continue to not do that, it's they, a, it's a good system. But if it doesn't, you're actually stepping out of democracy to step, stepping out of what a Republic is supposed to be. And you're getting more into what a monarchy is. Exactly. Frankly. And that's why I, in my mind, the legal problem, because this is putting aside the moral issue of abortion to me, the moral issue is, you know, is it right or wrong to abort a baby? Um, but the legal issue, the real legal question of, uh, around Roe v. Wade is who should make this type of decision? The people or a panel of nine judges who all went to Ivy League schools? And and I, I think if you put it in those, load it in those terms, then then clearly the yeah. answer is it's the people. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's responses to that. The that I think the liberal response is that we can't trust a legislator, legislature, a state legislature to do the job because I mean, look where that got us with slavery and with the Jim Crow laws. And, and they have a point with that. They do. It's there, there is a real, there, there is a role for the constitution to play to limit what a state legislature can do. Checks and balances. There's checks so, and balance. So I mean, it's, it's not a clear cut issue, even though I'm, you know, kind of showing my hand of how I feel about Roe v. Wade. But <laughs> but the problem with Roe v. Wade is they came in and there's all these unresolved issues scientifically. When does a, you know, when one issue, a science, just purely scientific, is when does a fetus become viable? It's somewhere in, you know, in the, after 20 weeks. At the time, they said it was like 28. I think what does they, viable even mean? It means it could be, it could exist outside of the mom. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. on on life support, it's not like it would just 
pop out, pop out and, and live. But the, that if the baby comes out of the mom, the hospital could keep it alive and, and, and keep the baby, you know, keep it going. Yeah. That number is always going down. Right. Is the interesting thing there. And yeah. Roe v. Wade did this weird thing where they said, we don't know if we're not going to answer if a baby has a, has a, is worthy, a, an unborn baby is worthy of protection. And they, they acknowledge, they paid lip service to the idea that, that it, it's a tough question, morally ambiguous question. But instead of saying, you know, we're going to let the legislature just decide that issue. This is where they split the babies. They said they created this weird approach where they said in the first trimester, you can do, the state can't do anything. You can unfettered right to abortion. And then somewhere in the second trimester, it becomes viable. And so it's, we have this balancing test. And then in the third trimester, the state can restrict abortion all the way because at that point, the unborn baby is, we think, we're just going to make the, the arbitrary determination that at, in the third trimester, the baby's worth protecting. And to be fair, back then, I think the, the viability of a fetus was was a lot. Um, it was a More lot. around the third trimester. Yeah. Ye- but I'm no. not saying that it's that I agree with that. Well, the, and the but judge <laughs> saying, oh, I'll just do it. Well, well, but, but, but and then it's not accounting for like the increasing um, uh, technology and exactly. the, the amazing uh-huh. factors. And all yeah. That. But then that, yeah. that that just kind of gets past the, the underlying. Uh, they just kind of assume that viability is the right line. That's Why does true. it matter? Yeah. yeah. I mean, who's to, who's to say that? And that, well, and, and you and I actually talked about this, right? And I didn't want to. I didn't want to talk about this a lot leading into this episode because I didn't want to like already cover so much just between I want to save a lot of it for the podcast. But one thing that I thought was worth mentioning again was my own opinion on this. And this is something that I think a lot of us could agree on, at least from a religious standpoint. Um, And then there are plenty of people that I know that are religious that still wouldn't agree with that. And this is fine. But the way I like to look at it is whether or not this, because I think how the general agreement is that if you believe the spirit and the body are separate, Hmm that once the spirit enters the body, then it becomes like, it's like, that's legit. You know, like that is, that is a being, that is something that you should not, you should not murder. You should not kill. You should not take take away its right to life. Mm -hmm. But I would go one step further and say, even we don't know when that happens. The vessel itself is enough to take care of it just because it can actually hold a spirit. And that's why I think I don't really care when that, ha- when, when we could argue about that all day, like, is it, is it the viability and when is it even viable, right? That, that the spirit enters the body. I think, and this is what I said to Josh earlier, anything that is technically considered living, which I know within that even has varying definitions, but for the most part, there's probably at least a little bit of a closer distinction. Mm-hmm. Anything that is considered living on this earth is out of the presence of God and therefore worth protecting now protecting i don't mean in the sense that like just because animals are living we should never kill them and use them for sustenance i do think we need to treat them sacred mm-hmm. and i think you can do that while still hunting them and using them for sustenance personally i think there's a, there's a servitude there on their part that is meant to kind of prolong humanity to some degree anyway that's neither here nor there but that's my overall thinking along those lines mm-hmm. i don't know if you guys have anything to comment and about that. And if you do, please share it. And I've got a, one other thing that I want to bring up as we kind of close things out here, because I don't want to take too much of your time. Okay. 
Um, I was thinking about that actually because I have a very similar opinion, but I was thinking where I'm coming from. I have had a baby. I've experienced being pregnant and having a child and um, it took us a long time to get pregnant. So my experience is the exact opposite of a woman who wants an abortion. She's pregnant, doesn't want to be. And I've spent a lot of my married life not pregnant and wanting to be. So that's where yeah. I'm coming from in my opinion. And I was thinking about just kind of how I think everybody has a valid opinion. And I don't think that this should qualify my opinion at all. But I think that, that it deserves some compassion and some, it, it's worth saying there may be factors that I can't understand that are at play here. But as I thought about it more, I was thinking about some of the like Mormon cultural doctrine. That's not church doctrine. It's not, you know, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints doctrine. It's Mormon doctrine about miscarriages. I don't know if if you guys were ever Enlighten raised. Us. What's that? Enlighten us, because I, 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 I'd probably be reminded once you say, but I, I can't okay. off the top of my head. Just things like, oh, if you if you have an early miscarriage and then you get pregnant again, that child just came too early and now they're coming back to you and it's the same spirit. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or um, things like if you have a miscarriage, you can raise the baby later. And I don't know if that's doctrine or not. But my point is that the way we treat miscarriages is so different from the way we treat abortion. And I think the difference is obviously the agency component. And so I think, I think what it, what it boils down to for me is, is the agency part. And I don't know if you want to get into this right now, but I think that goes to, um, we were talking about before about the exception for race and incest. And I think the difference there. Is the we actually didn't mention this on the podcast. This was pre-podcast recording, but yes, we did Sorry. talk about this, and I do want to definitely get into this. Sorry, keep okay. going. And I think for me, that's that's where my opinion really really stems from. And I and I, I again, I think it's worth saying. I don't have, I can't relate to it in the same way. But my opinion is still valid, just as yours are, even though you are men who can experience childbirth. Um, but for me, it boils down to agency. Anytime you're choosing to take away whether it's a life or a potential for life um, when you, when you chose to take actions that, that had the potential to create that life yeah. agency and accountability, right? Is the Yes. To me that that's what it's about. And um, I don't know. I, I that's, I that's, those are two constructs that certainly can guide you correctly. I would absolutely agree with that. And I, and I think that's important to acknowledge that, like, if you're playing a role here, then you need to realize what the ramifications are of whatever decision you choose. Mm-hmm. So um, that boiling it down to agency and accountability makes a lot of sense to me. Josh, did you have more to say about that? No, I um, I don't know if you guys want to get back to, like, the legal. I don't. <laughs> Sorry. No, I, I think we're kind of we're, we're kind of I'll be honest. I I want to I want to do a part two at some point, probably okay. closer to when the decision will come out. So I don't think we really need to get totally back to i know we didn't cover like even 15 percent of what you had laid out in the outline and no sorry that's, about that's that. fine I, I if that's the case i just want to say that i think these are like these are the moral questions that should be decided through the political process through voting for you know your representatives and and these are the debates that should be should be made not in court 
this isn't the type of thing that you'd want to go and argue to the Supreme Court. The points that Taylor it's made not, no. that I agree with. Um, but a lot of times the debate around should Roe v. Wade be overturned or it, they all kind of get to these moral issues. And I think the, the, the only point I want to make is that um, there's a lot of anger, I think, when we talk about the judicial process because they, they get these very important moral moral positions and then they try to impose them you know, and want the result to follow the moral issue. But I think it's important to separate them and realize that we do live in a society that, um, you know, President Oaks has talked a lot about the importance of the rule of law and respecting others in a society that have, you know, they have more beliefs that are different. And so it's important to understand, you know, what the role of each branch of government is and why the judiciary should or shouldn't overturn Roe v. Wade. I think personally that abortion is a, is a very immoral thing. And it's a tragedy that all these spirits, a lot of spirits every year are being, are being deprived of, you know, I don't know what happens after or like to Taylor's point, if they're like, if they get another shot or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But I do know if you, if, by the way, if you believe they get another shot, then I would think just by the law, logically, the law of logics, that's a thing, right? <laughs> is uh, you should be okay with abortion at a certain point if you believe that they have another shot. Well, except for Taylor's, you don't think so? Except for Taylor's accountability and agency right. point. From the, true. From the point That's of view true. of the baby, yes, it's not as bad. The consequences aren't as bad, but well, and I, I think that explains why we can can have this exception for rape, incest, and danger to a mother, which I want to make clear. We have, since we voiced our opinions so strongly, we definitely think, at least I do. I'm not going to talk for you guys, but I think most most members of the church, I believe, do. Yeah, this is the reason why I actually brought this up is because I am in the minority here. I still don't think necessarily that that's okay. So here's the thing: it's very complex. For one, I heard a statistic the other day uh, that that's actually less than one percent of all abortion cases. So there's that. But then also, I I just think with today's technology especially, now granted this wasn't, you couldn't have made this determination in Roe versus Wade. There's the day after pill that does a lot, from what I understand, to just prevent the egg from attaching to the, to the uterine wall yeah. and turning into a fetus. And within 24 hours... You're, that number goes well down below 1% even if you're able to have access to that pill. Now, granted, not everybody's able to have access to the pill. I get that anyway. So even then, like, I don't know if I necessarily even can get behind the whole blanket thing of, well, if rape or incest, then we're good. You know, mm-hmm. obviously it's complicated. And I also don't want to say no matter what, no, either. I don't want to be that extreme one way or the other, but it okay. just is an interesting one. I, yeah. It's not something I tend to gloss over anymore is all. Okay. Yeah. For good. me, it's a, I, mean, I agree. It's a, it's a, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I see where you're coming from, Harper, because the logic is if it's a child, you know, if it's a, if it's a baby worthy of protection, you know, a life, then it shouldn't really matter if it was the result of incest or rape. Right. I mean, yeah. Um, but if I, I mean, I, I think the church handbook is still written in this way where it's, it's, it suggests that it's, it does kind of have an exception for that where it's, it's, it's a matter of prayer but they don't, it's not like an automatic church discipline. 
Um, and I might be speaking out of turn here, but I, but I, I, I think that's the case, but that to me just suggests like maybe there's parts of this that I don't fully understand because I understand the logic of your position, but maybe there's more to it as far as the, I, I don't know. I, I don't, it's, uh, it's unclear to me. It's, it's, but I think I would err on the side of protect, even if we're wrong, maybe we should err on the side of protecting this life despite. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as we kind of close out though, one thing I wanted to point out, this kind of was related back to when you were talking about accommodation, uh, how that falls under Liberty potentially sort of, um, uh, one thing that is fascinating to me is that I don't think this is the, well, okay. I don't know. There's, there's obviously like long precedent of what I'm about to say, but this one is so interesting because it involves another being potentially, but another thing, another living thing at some point, potential, for something life. that could yeah. turn in. Yeah. Potential for life, which is huge. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes the ruling so interesting to me is that when it comes to accommodation laws or other forms of Liberty, it's like, you're not really affecting another person or another being or another potential for life as like really not, not directly. In fact, the default is to protect exactly somebody, right? Give a voice to the people who don't have the voice. But then when it yeah. comes to like the ultimate person without a voice or at least potential for a person, it's like, eh. And that's, what's fascinating is that it's, we, we stop short of that. We're all of a sudden it turns from, Hey, how do we protect these people and their liberties to how do we give them the right to do this? Right. That's, that's where the argument seems to have, flipped a little bit because you're not really I don't see where protection is mentioned when it comes to giving the woman a right to choose whether or not she wants to terminate a pregnancy protection is not really a part of that there is the whole idea of women's health which has now been expanded to mental health which could be anxiety at this Wait, point I don't right? I don't understand what you mean what uh explain your point again that the protection isn't which one that protect protection isn't mentioned well, in abortion, when it comes to the right to abortion, do, are we? Is it talking about protecting another person? Because it seems like most of these laws, when it comes to specifically liberty, is meant to protect people, protect their families, protect their children. Right. Right. Well, and that's and that's what makes you're you're right. That's what makes Roe v. Wade and and the other cases that come after and that that was were argued yesterday interesting. Is that the justices do recognize that there are two. Pot- at least two potential interests at play. But instead of saying, you know, this is a complicated issue, let's just let the legislature decide. They just stepped in and, and, and made the decision at least implicitly. And they did so by saying before the, in the first trimester, it's everything goes to the mother. The mother can do it. We're not going to give any protection to the child. In the second, are, are they protecting the mother, or are they just protecting the mother's right to make a choice? Yeah, what do they mean by protect? That's oh, that's what I'm it, curious about. It's it's this. They're protecting her right, her liberty right, her right to remember the the t- case law we talked about. It's the right. But when is there ever a right to end the? I mean, I know the definition stops short of it being a life, but no, well, there's at least I'm everyone not, can agree that there's a potential for life. Uh-huh. So. Well, when did that become a right? Because we already know murder is against the law. I know, but it's not. It's the potential to end a potential life. I think what you're you're baking into your question is this: 
you've decided already that it's worthy of protection. And that it is a life. And that's the moral component that that should be decided by the legislature, not by a judge. And so the judge, gotcha. and, that, and that's how they split the baby. I keep saying that is they said, we're going to just give it in the first trimester. We're going to answer the, answer that question, that moral question, you know, in favor of the, the mother that wants the abortion and say, there is no, nothing worthy of protection in the second trimester. We're going to just do a balancing test and it's, it's kind of up in the air and we can, there's, a lot more we could, you know, legal weeds that we could get into. But then in the third trimester, we, it's, it swings over and we're going to protect the the baby more. And you can't do anything in the third trimester to hurt the baby or the state can, the state can pass laws prohibiting it in the third trimester. And that was the, that was the, the law after Roe v. Wade for 20 years until the 1992 case, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, when the Justice Ginsburg and, you know, and the court at that point said Roe v. Wade was kind of their trimester approach doesn't make a lot of sense. So we're just going to use viability and it's always a balancing test. And, and, uh, but before viability, it all goes to the mother and then, but you can still do some, some restrictions on abortion, like requiring the mother to go and get information about abortion before she can make the decision, stuff like that. But you can't just outright prohibit it before viability, and then after it, you can, you know, depending on the circumstances. And that's the case, that's kind of the state of the law now. So the court's still making this moral determination that viability is the line, not the trimester approach. But it's still saying before, you know, before viability, it's not worthy of protection. After it, it has some protection, and it's this it's this moral decision that they're making that they're not really qualified to make and they should leave it to the legislature. Have you guys seen, by the way, some leftists, like some of the like talk, uh, I don't know, the talking heads that have almost come full circle. It's like fascinating that all of a sudden there's a moral component to their argument and they don't even know it because there's, I think it was Rachel Maddow. It was either Rachel Maddow or Joy Reid who had said, well, women should just stop having sex with men then. Until like they're ready, they're willing to raise the kid with them, and we're all like, "That's what we've literally been saying the whole time." <laughs> the religious conservatives exactly. have literally been saying that the whole time. Uh, I think Rachel Maddow made the point, and I actually think this is excellent too. That if you're going to make abortion, now, I, I don't think she said it along these terms exactly, but essentially the gist of what she was saying was that if you're going to make abortion illegal, then. Um, the ch- child support should start the moment the woman is pregnant. Totally agree with that. Utah actually made a law that does that. Oh, so hmm. kind of, I like that because to me, it seems like Utah's kind of putting their money where their mouth is, where it's like, we would make abortion illegal if we could, Yeah, but also not exonerate the men from being tied to this because they absolutely right. should be. We believe that that's actually a construct that is meant to extend society for ages well that's that's interesting that's not just unique to utah i mean i don't know about that specific type of it's law. not unique to utah it's not but i just know utah has that law right but i'm saying there are other laws that are are similarly um like people are talking out of both sides of their mouth when it comes to the protection guaranteed to a, a fetus because and they talked about this in oral argument yesterday actually some of the justices asked questions 
about there's laws where if you take drugs as a pregnant mother, you can be prosecuted for uh, child neglect or child abuse. Or if a if a man you know kicks or abuses a pregnant woman, yeah. he can be convicted for murder for both. Yeah, double homicide has and, yeah that's then, that's been a thing. Or you could sure. just, or he could just abort the baby and wouldn't be right. wouldn't that's be crazy. you know liable for any crime. And so there is this like double speak about when is the baby worthy of protection, and um, yeah, there's a lot of irony in some of those. Laws, yeah, right? well, it just shows that it's as a society, it's still undecided. We don't know. We haven't come to a consensus. It's not unanimous about the morality of it, and that's why judges shouldn't be stepping in and just deciding it. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating. Before we sign off here, and and like I said again, Josh, sorry we didn't get to a ton of your outline, but I want to have you guys <laughs> both on again if you're willing and able in the future. Um, but before we sign off, I'm curious how you think this will unfold in the coming months. I think so. The difference between now and 1992 is we have a we have a supermajority. It's the court is six to three, conservative to liberal. Um, ish, conservative ish. Exactly. Yeah, uh, and you. I think what's going to happen, and there's a number of ways that it could come out. One is they could just outright overturn Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey and say there is no more right to an abortion. It's not in the Constitution. We don't recognize it. The states have at it. Or you could have a limited overturning of Planned Parenthood versus Casey that that said, um, you know, they they said that viability is the line. Um, and viability is in the 28 weeks somewhere. And the Mississippi law that they're hearing is a 15 week ban. It says, Oh, it's Mississippi. I said, Louisiana, my bad. That's okay. It's, uh, after <laughs> it says no abortions after 15 weeks. And they could just say, kind of do it narrowly and say, we're going to get rid of the, we're going to kind of step back from Planned Parenthood versus Casey, weaken the kind of weaken the right, um, for abortion, but say that there still is something there, but not speak definitively and say 15 weeks is okay. Um, and so you could go, you could go one of those two ways, or you could just affirm based on stare decisis and say, we're leaving it all intact. The, the current court has, um, like you said, a kind of a majority, a super majority of conservatives, it definitely has a majority, I would say, just kind of at any given time, there's generally like five conservatives that can agree with each other. Yeah. Well, you have the the who's in the middle right now is the chief justice, John Roberts, and he's yeah, very Roberts and Kavanaugh kind of leans middle as well Yeah, on certain issues. Um, he but John Roberts is very concerned about the perception of the court. And that's kind of his job. He's the chief justice. He's trying to and he's the one that will decide has already decided, I guess, who's going to author the, the lead opinion. He kind of doles out those assignments after oral argument. And who is he? They don't, they don't announce it. And it's not, Oh, they don't. Gotcha. If, if the person that's named as the majority opinion can't get a majority, can't get enough people to sign on to his decision, they become the minority and, they, and or they shuffle it and the, and the justice will reassign 
You saw that with the Obamacare decision. Or the dissent. Is that what it is? They yeah, the dissent or the majority. Opinion, is that what it is? Yeah. And there's concurring yeah. opinions. And this one could be messy. There could be a lot of different opinions with one that kind of is the majority. I think Chief Justice Roberts is going to try to steer this to a more narrow uh, kind of scaling back of Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood. But I don't think he's going to overturn it. He's going to push that it not be overturned all the way. And I think there's a good chance that he 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 gets that. He's really well respected by the other justices. In the past, he's managed to build these kind of these bridges and consensus where people didn't think there would be. Um, he did that to conservatives, you know, frustration with Obamacare. He kind of saved Obamacare by crafting this really novel right. approach. And I think he'll do something similar. Right. And it's going to scale back the abortion right, but it's going to there's still going to be something left. Uh, once they issue their decision. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and from what we've seen, Sotomayor obviously played her hand very early with what she was talking about, saying that the fetus not being able to feel pain doesn't necessarily mean it's living. I guess on a technicality, you could make that argument, but her overall argument being that she's definitely going to be very much for abortion. Kavanaugh was the surprise. I don't know if you saw any of that, but apparently it, there were there was discussion about how Kavanaugh was really like, kind of throwing some hard hitting questions out there during the discussion yeah. and kind of in a surprising way. Cause he, he can be a little bit in the middle sometimes, but it doesn't sound like he's in the middle so much for this one. Well, and his questions were directed directly at the, the question that we've gone, I've been talking about of who should make the decision was Roe v. Wade wrong for the judges to step in or should we leave it to the legislature? And he kept hitting that. He wasn't saying abortion is wrong morally, he was just saying, I think he was really, his questions were directed at maybe it was wrong of us to have decided all, all those years ago and we should have let the, the states decide. Which if it does go back to states' rights, that's a win in my mind. That's a win. That's way easier for people to navigate yeah. as citizenry. Yes. Oh, I think so. And, well, it, and it's how our government was supposed to operate. Yeah. And you, we have, there's, yeah. I saw that there's 21 states that have laws passed that are called trigger laws. And if Roe v. Wade's ever overturned, immediately they ban abortion. It's just like the day the decision's issued, those laws come into effect. So there's 21 and then there's yeah. five or six other states that are likely to do it pretty quickly soon after. So you'll you'll have 26, 27 states that as soon as they, they push it back to the states and say the states can make the call, abortion will be banned in half the, half the country or half the states. Yeah. That'd be fantastic. So messy. Yeah. Anyway, thanks guys so much for coming on. Uh, let me know once you have your second boy specifically, because it sounds like just by how Josh loves King Solomon so much, he's going to have to be named Solomon. Right? What? <laughs> Solomon Cutler. <laughs> Mentioning the, uh, oh, yeah. split the baby, giving the references in that, in this episode left and right. You know, so we have Solomon a Cutler. We've, we've struggled with Royal James is such a, we really like the name. It's a strong name. How do you follow up? And maybe King Solomon Cutler. King Solomon. It's <laughs> the name. King and King and Royal will be our kids. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Royal King. Yeah. No wonder you're all about the monarchy, man. I love the Supreme Court justices not having term limits. Oh, yeah. Dictator. They're not, they're not an executive. <laughs> well, thanks again, guys. I really appreciate you taking the time. And that was fun catching up and getting your thoughts on that. And you're a great duo, and I'd love to have you on again for sure. Seriously, just plan on it. Okay. Thanks, Harper. To a different time. 